Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. It's good to be with you guys. I was asked if Cody has me on retainer. And my answer is, whatever Cody asked for, I will do. I love this man. Uh, this has been uh, this, you know, some weeks are better than others. And uh, this has been like a really beautiful week. It's felt like God is just like in our family has been really sweet to us. We've had like at work, I do leadership development and culture training at a company that's got a bunch of different branches in four states. So I work with the leaders and got everyone together and all the leaders started processing through how, how can we build a, a family oriented culture for everyone that works at the company? And it felt like holy work. And then, uh, my grandmother, uh, passed away last weekend. Um, but she lived a beautiful long life. She passed away in her nineties. And as I was just driving earlier on this week, I had this, this moment where I started to, reflect on her life. You know, she and my grandfather were uh, pastors for many, many years and they like got to the end of their life and it's not like they left a bunch of stuff behind, you know? Um, but I, I, I came home from work one day, I like walked in and my wife was just like, hey, listen to what the kids learned today. And they started to tell me their little Bible verses that they've been learning. And I just got teary because I was like, you know what my grandmother left behind? Like she left behind great grandchildren that hide God's word in their heart. And I was like this powerful, like emotional, beautiful family moment, you know, that we had together. And so then we got to go and spend time with family from all over the country and be together uh, in Wichita and celebrate her life. And it was like a time full of joy. And, um, and now this morning I get to be with Vineyard family, right? Which is just, I don't think you guys know uh, how much I enjoy being at Vineyard. It's like, it's just a gift to my heart. So um, there's something about faith community. There's something about connection that really reorients us in life. It reminds us who we are. It reminds us what we're actually about in this world, where we're going, like what a, a life well lived looks like and, and how our, a faith community actually is this place where we understand how our lives, the days of our lives fit into the great redemptive story that God has been telling for generations before us during the generations that we will live and see and the generations that come after us. And it's, it, there's something about the hurry, the day-to-day -day hurry of life. Anyone feel like life has a hurried pace from time? Yeah, anyone? Yes. Uh, there's something about the hurried pace of life that sometimes when, when life gets interrupted and we pause and we reflect and when we draw near to people, all of a sudden we find like we have time to pause, to reorient ourselves, and to remember who we are and what we're about. And I feel like there's this letter that Paul writes to this early church is actually this reorienting time. All of our lives sometimes are in need of these moments of reorientation. So one of the things that uh, as I was like starting to think about this that really struck me as powerful is, you know, Paul writes this reorienting letter to this group of people in Philippi. And then there's this group of people like, 
near Kansas City, Missouri, on a different continent, thousands of years later, that are sitting together, having these words that he writes actually reorient us in the world. Isn't that a powerful thing? There's, a, there's these moments where we realize we're in need of reorientation. I was thinking about a time, about this time last year, my wife and I started to really process through some life change. I'd been a pastor for many years at a vineyard church here in Kansas City, and we felt like it was time for something new to happen. And that was scary and a little bit intimidating for us to take that step and do that. And so as I, like many times what I do, I don't know if you guys have these moments where you realize life's about to change and there's some place you go or something that you do to wrap your head around a change that's coming. Do you guys have those sorts of things? For me, one of the things that I've done over the years is that I like withdraw from cell phones and interruptions and go to the wilderness of Colorado and I go fly fishing. I just sort of disappear into the mountains for a while. And I realized there was life change coming. And so one of my really close friends, a guy uh, who was my roommate, who played music with me over the years, who was pastoring with me at the church that I was in, uh, he just like dropped everything, got in my Jeep with me and goes, let's just hit the mountains, let's go. And so we had this like great plan. Some of you are going to know immediately how this plan turned out uh, as I start telling it. We have this great plan. We're going to leave really early in the morning, right? We're going to throw our stuff in the Jeep. We're going to leave like way before the sun comes up. We're going to get to this trailhead in Colorado with plenty of daylight left. It, everything's going to be great. And then we're going to hike up to our base camp, which is about, you know, 10, five or 11,000 feet right at the tree line in Colorado. That's where we're going to put all our stuff for the week. And then we'll do day hikes to like mountaintop lakes and go fly fishing for the week. And then while we're doing that, I'm going to bring journals. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to listen to what God might be saying in a place where I'm just like not interrupted. So we get in the car and everything's going as planned. We're like, you know, cruising across Kansas and there's like, you know, Kansas has its own kind of beauty. We'll say it's, uh, if you stop and you pause, it is actually really beautiful. Right. Um, but as we're driving across, we start to realize, hey, we're going to hit Denver right around lunchtime. And we have some friends that are at a vineyard church called the Mile High Vineyard. Uh, Jay Pathak, the new national director of the Vineyard Movement, has been the senior pastor of that church for many years. And I know and love a lot of the people that are at that church. And so I go, John, let's stop for lunch and we'll connect with a friend of mine at this church. And uh, they happen to be free for lunch. And so it's like all of the stars align and we sit there and we're having this amazing lunch processing through life together and lose track of time. And then we get back in the car and I look at the clock and I start going, we're about two hours off schedule, John. And he looks at me and he goes, well, let's just see what happens. So we drive a few more hours to get to the trailhead and we get our bags out of the car. And I'm like, kind of looking and I'm like, we don't have that much daylight left. You guys can see where this is going, right? Being the intelligent human beings that we are, we just decide, you know what? It's going to be fine. We'll hike faster, right? <laughs> this is our, this is our great plan. So we put on our really heavy packs and we start to hike up this mountain. And then like this thing happens that any of you who've climbed mountains in Colorado realize, like we started the day at roughly sea level. Then we drove like over a mile high. Then we started to hike and all of a sudden our flatlander lungs start just giving out on us. So like we make it about 10 or 15 steps with these heavy packs and we're like gasping for breath. And I'm like, I'm not out of this uh, shape like this. This has gotta be the altitude, bro. You know? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's the altitude. Sure. And so we start hiking and we keep hiking and we're just like, 
we're just not making it to this lake that's on the map that we know we're supposed to get to in the pace that we need to get there. And then all of a sudden it's like getting really dark and we start looking at each other and we're just like, oh, we done messed up, right? And so we look at each other and we're like, okay, what are we gonna do? So we throw on our headlamps and we just keep hiking. We're like, look, we'll be there anytime now. Surely the lake's close, right? Is This is the kind of logic that we're engaging in. Surely it's just around this corner. Surely it's just around that corner, right? And we just keep hiking and we keep hiking and all of a sudden our legs are like giving out, right? Because we're just, the packs are heavy, we're at altitude, we just don't have it in us. And so I look at him and I'm like, hey, look, I don't wanna like quit on you here. He's like, no, feel free to quit on me. And, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, can we just camp here on the trail? Like I'm done, man. And he goes, yeah, I'm done too. So we get our stuff, we like put our tents out, and then in the morning, the sun comes up and we're on this trail, but we have no idea really where we're at on the trail. And so here's what we do. We, we start looking at each other going, we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to just keep hiking, I guess. So we pack our stuff up and we just keep hiking further and further. And eventually we reach a point where we're like looking at each other going, well, maybe this lake doesn't even exist, right? <laughs> we're like, where are we? is this moment. And we've hiked so far in the dark that the truth of the matter is we don't know where we are, right? And this thought dawns on me as we come into a clearing. I mean, this is a long shot, but maybe we have cell coverage. So I dig through my backpack and all of a sudden I turn on my phone and I have one bar of cell coverage. And we find a mile marker along the trail and I call my wife and I just like, I'm like, this is never going to work. And I call and the phone rings and I'm like, ha! Hallelujah. Right. It's one of these moments. And she picks up and she's like, are you okay? You're supposed to be like way out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, get a load of this. I am. And I don't know where in the middle of nowhere I am. And so she goes, well, tell me your mile marker. I tell her, she starts looking up like all the information she can find. And she just like, all of a sudden she starts laughing on the phone. You see where this is going, right? She starts laughing and I go, what? And she goes, ha, you guys are idiots. And I go, what? And she's like, the, the lake is like miles behind you. In the dark, without orientation and knowing where we are, we've just hiked past it with our little headlamps, right? So now we're like putting our heavy packs on and we have to backtrack to get back to this lake. And all of a sudden we see it like through some trees that you would never be able to see through in the dark. There's this lake that's waiting for us, this destination that God had for us for the week and where we're able to connect to him and know who we are and what we're about and that kind of thing. There are these moments where we find ourselves in life in need of reorientation. And this is the way that Paul's letters serve us as followers of Jesus in a completely different place and a completely different culture, years and years and years from the time that he wrote these things to us. Paul's letters pretty typically include some like real key elements in them. He reminds people of who they really are. He reminds them constantly of what Jesus has done. He reminds them how life is actually intended to be lived and how to get to the place that they're trying to go. And, and as we remember from these last few weeks, anyone who's missed a couple of these weeks, I'll give just like a quick flyover of some of the stuff that Paul wrote that brings us to chapter three today. You know, Paul planted this church in Philippi. It was his first church in Eastern Europe that he started, right? And then he leaves and continues to plant other churches. The interesting thing about Philippi is a bunch of retired Roman military are there in 
this place. So imagine Paul comes to this retired military outpost in in the Roman Empire, and he starts talking about, no, there's actually a king, and he's got a kingdom, and this kingdom's going to come and go, but this Jesus, his kingdom will last forever. Can you see how it would create tension around him? Like people have given their lives to build this kingdom. And he's talking about a kingdom that has no end. And so as Paul leaves, the people who are in this church start to experience pressure and some persecution. And there's this tension in the culture that they're in because they're committing themselves to following this Jesus who's a king whose kingdom never ends. It creates this tension. And and Paul finds himself in prison writing this letter to them to help them to orient themselves in this confusing world around him. In chapter one, he writes a few really beautiful themes that, that we've touched on. Like there's this gratefulness to God, like, hey, you started this life with God and the God who started this faith in you He's going to stay with you. He's going to complete the thing that he started in your lives. Your lives are made to be lived in connection with this God. And then he starts talking about the role of suffering in life. Have have any of you noticed that suffering is actually something that can be useful in our world? And he starts talking about, look, as people have watched me suffering for sharing the message of Jesus and his kingdom, the most fascinating thing has happened. You would think that they'd be looking for somebody who was like really winning, but they're seeing somebody who's like really suffering and struggling. And my faith in the midst of that struggling is winning people over to a life of following Jesus. And it's encouraging and inspiring people who are following Jesus to be bold and sharing their life of faith. And then he he starts to say, listen, here's the point. It's kind of what Cody opened with. Our lives are supposed to be lived imitating the life that we see in Jesus. And then he breaks into this beautiful poem. It's like one, if you were to commit something to memory or hide God's words in your heart, this like chapter two, verses six through 11 is a beautiful thing to hide in your heart because it's this poem that Paul writes about the story of Adam and how things, how sin enters into the story of people, how brokenness in relationship with God starts, brokenness in relationship with each other happens. And then he moves into these words that sort of reflect Isaiah, one of the prophets about this Messiah who would come and he would redeem and restore the relationship between God and people. It's like Paul just goes, you want to know who this Jesus was? He, he was God in the flesh, dwelling among people, bringing life back, bringing connection to God back, life to the full. This is not only the God who conquers sin and death, but it's the God who draws near in every moment as you walk through life. And then Paul shifts and he does this really personal thing. He goes, I mean, just look at Timothy. He starts using this person who's in the life of the church. He goes, look at Timothy. Like Timothy cares more about other people than he cares about himself. And look at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has come to me bringing gifts from you guys. Like you're, you have persecution going on in your world and you're giving me gifts in prison through this guy who gets sick as he's like delivering the gifts that they have. Well, he's like Epaphroditus, like put his life in jeopardy to make sure that I was okay. These people are a reflection of what it means to live a life with Jesus. And that sort of brings us to chapter three today, where we look at these really amazing um, things that Paul has to say that reorient the people's hearts. 
the people in the church, you may have noticed this all throughout Paul's uh, letters. Have you noticed that everybody seems like really fixated on circumcision? And you just go, well, this is peculiar, right? Circumcision is sort of representative of generations and generations of people's outward expression of faithfulness in their life with God. It's this sort of outward sign that my life is lived in this great tradition, this great story of being obedient to God and following God. And all of a sudden there's these people in the church that Paul's planted that are just like, hey, listen, yes, following Jesus is good, but here's this long list of regulations, rules, and laws that our people have been following for all these generations. And if you really wanna do the real thing, you not only have to accept Jesus, but you have to do like every single one of the rules that we've accumulated throughout the history of our story of a life with God. And Paul starts to actually go, I- I'm gonna recapture for these people. I'm gonna reorient their hearts. I'm gonna remind them what a life with God is really about. And so Paul starts to do this fascinating thing. He goes, hey, if it's really about keeping the law, if it's about like living according to all of these rules and regulations, and that's what a life with God is actually there for, And that's just this uninterrupted thing, regardless of what Jesus has done. Well, let me just download my resume to you. And Paul starts to say things like this, law observance, check. I am more law observant than any of the people who are correcting all of you. Right heritage, yes, I come from the correct lineage. I come from the good family. Scriptural literacy, yes. I know the scriptures and I know them more than any of the people who are criticizing you. Religious clout or notoriety, yes, I am a known religious leader. And zeal or passion, check. I got that down. It actually got quite out of hand. That's part of my conversion story. I was so zealous. I was putting followers of Jesus to death, right? And it's like Paul just goes, listen, if it's about the rules, if it's about that thing of you living just the perfect kind of life, neat and tidy based on the checklist, I have out checklisted all of you, which is kind of a bold thing to say. But for many of us, I don't, I don't know if this resonates with you. Many of us actually do interact with whether or not we're worthy before God, like whether God thinks we're worthy based on how closely we've modified our behavior. How many things we do right and how many things we do wrong are this like invisible scorecard in our heart that tell us whether or not God is happy or unhappy, whether we're worthy or whether we're unworthy. And some of us who really, I'm just curious, how many love rules? My, my wife just loves doing the right thing. It's fascinating. Um, how many love breaking the rules? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Your hands went up faster. <laughs> okay. Um, the interesting thing is he starts talking like, listen, if, if following the rules is the deal, and if you make yourself more lovable to God by following the rules, then I'm the most loved of any of you, right? But for many of us, when we think about how do we, how do we navigate the life change that God wants to bring to us? while not just making our whole life about performance, it can be challenging. Some of us really who are more rule following types drift into 
these sort of like, well, let's make the checklist and let's make sure we're clean and tidy. So let's just do this as a, as a little reflective experiment together. Is that all right? I love to make a little bit of time and space for us to look inwardly as we do this because life is busy and sometimes we don't get to reflect. So let me ask some questions. How many, like, let's think about the law, the list of rules that make us right or not right with God. How many of us actually feel more worthy of God's love when we're behaving ourselves? And then how many of us feel like less worthy of God's love right after we've just really screwed something up? Or maybe when we have like patterns that are unbroken of like, man, we make this same mistake over and over. And you start to just go, I don't think I'm lovable. When it comes to heritage, how many of us in this room go, you know what? I came from a really good Christian family and I have lived a really good Christian life and I have like the right kind of, I have the right kind of legacy behind me. And it helps me to know where I stand with God. And how many of us go, look, I'm the first Jesus following person anywhere my extended, like when I show up to the family reunion, I'm the weirdo. Or Bible mastery. This is a fascinating one about whether you're worthy with God or not. How many of us feel like really embarrassed because we don't know the Bible the way we should? Is this familiar? And then how many of us go, oh, I really know the Bible. And so that's how I know that I'm like really far along with God, right? These things, you see how these things that Paul is pushing on when he gives his list are still actually present in our world today as people trying to, to live a life with God? Or what about notoriety? How many of us feel like we're more successful in our life with God if we do the big stuff? Like, oh, I'm doing the stuff that people notice. I must be really effective in the kingdom of God. How many of us feel like, I don't know, my life with God kind of feels like obscurity, like the things that God uses me to do are behind the scenes. They, they don't really get noticed. Or zeal. How many of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, look at other people and go, they seem more honest about their faith than me. Like, I mean, they, they seem to really have it together. Actually, I actually feel like the, the scriptures that make the most sense to me are like the ones where the guy goes to Jesus and says like, hey, look, I believe, but can you do something about this unbelief? See, what Paul starts to do is he starts to like pull at this thread and unravel the madness of people who want to continue to live based on the checklist of law when Jesus has done what he's done to fulfill the law and its purpose and to bring us into a whole new thing, an intimate, dynamic relationship with God. See, whether you find yourself feeling really 
proud of yourself because you get a lot of things right or whether you feel really unworthy because you're like, man, I've got a long ways to go. Let's read these words from Paul in Philippians 3 verse 7 and and following. He says this, I once thought these things, his qualifications, were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Does Paul seem to be clinging too tight to his performance? In the past, what is, what is he fixated on? This relationship with Jesus that he gets. Paul actually uses some colorful language if you dig into the text a little bit. Um, garbage is a, is a polite word. Um, it's more like filth or garbage or maybe even like excrement. I count all of my best behaviors as like, when you compare the best that I can do to the holiness of a perfect God, it's not much. I have this daughter, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I'm getting ready to do. Um, I have this daughter who as we're potty training her, like she loved to go to the bathroom. Uh, but then like the moment that she start, oh God. Um, <laughs> The moment that she started pooping, she was very proud of herself, right? It was like this milestone in her little bitty life. And one day she like walks out of the bathroom, like, and just goes like this. And I look at her and I go, how'd that go? And she goes, that was a big turd. (laughs) Super proud of herself. There's something about what Paul's writing is like, that's the, like being proud of your best efforts in the presence of a holy God is like being real proud of something that anyone who's matured a little bit knows is not something to be that proud of. You see what he's pushing on here? As he says, I consider it all garbage. I consider it all like my best efforts are just not that impressive, guys. I want to just examine as he shifts the conversation toward toward being rooted in relationship instead of rooted in law and behavior in order to earn God's love. I I just want to give a little thought experiment. You just tell me, tell me whether this marriage is going good or not. You go to dinner with another couple. You really like these people and you're like, ah, we should get to know them better. And you go and you sit down. It's like you and your spouse and them and their spouse. And you ask the husband, hey, tell me about your wife. They've been married for years and years. And he just goes, let me tell you about my wife. She looked beautiful in her wedding dress 20 years ago. And uh, then we did a legal transaction and I moved from single to not single. And uh, I behave myself more now. 
How's this marriage going? Is it good? I would say the lack of information, the lack of gushing, the lack of relationship that exists in that telling of how a marriage is going would be like, guys, that marriage is not going great, right? And yet for so many of us, the way that we've learned to talk about our life of faith goes something like this. Somewhere way back there, I had a moment where I gave my life to God. And I used to be naughty, and now I'm less naughty. For so many of us, this is the way that we share what a life of faith must be. And Paul says, listen, it's not about that. That thing of your life transforming is actually a byproduct of every moment that happens as you dynamically live in a relationship with the God whose love changes everything in you. Does that make sense? If you were sitting across the table from that same married couple and they started sharing the stories of the hard things they've been through together and the way that they love each other when they're up and they love each other when they're down and how they've been through some stuff and they love each other more and the joy of this season of life and the joy of that season of life. And I really love this about this person that I've been living in relationship with for all these years. My spouse is funny. My spouse makes my life lighter and more fun. My spouse is amazing at this group of things. Like it, they seem to be really good at the things I'm not good at. And I seem to be really good at the things they're not good at. Like it's this beautiful life that we live together. And every day, like here's the kinds of activities we like to do together. Can, if you were sitting across a table from people who were talking about a dynamic and ongoing relationship, would you all of a sudden, would their joy become infectious? Would you start thinking about the good, beautiful things about your life, your relationship. There's this interesting thing when Paul starts to say, look, it's, it's not about the performance anymore because of what Jesus has done. It's actually about the faith, the belief. And he starts to say like, look, once I met Jesus, once Jesus encountered me, it started to change everything. And I would give any of it up. You can keep the success. You can keep the position. You can keep the, the list of people that think I'm important. You can take it all. All I want is just another day in the presence of this Jesus who loves me so beautifully, who loves me so powerfully, who has changed everything in my life. See, in a life with God, it's, it's a relational reality. We're leaving the world of rules and we're entering into the world of relationship and relationship is just, it's other. And of course it changes us. Of course we change. Of course the way that we live is different. Have any of you ever truly been deeply loved and it hasn't changed something about the way you see yourself or the way you live your life? Love is one of the most powerful transforming forces in the world when you're really deeply and truly loved by another person, all of a sudden you feel differently about who you are. 
when you're deeply and truly loved by the God who laid down his life for you, it changes everything. It just doesn't change it from the outside in the way that the law does. It changes you from the inside out. There's this author who wrote some of the most beautiful words that I ever came across as I was starting to discover grace and love and a relational life with Jesus as a teenager, there's an author named Brennan Manning who's written about grace at depth. And he's, he wrote these words that I just want to read over us because I think there's, they somehow resonate really closely with the thing that Paul is telling us when he says, look, I would trade it all for a bit more of the love of Jesus. He says this, in the 33 years since I was first ambushed by the love of Jesus, I am now utterly convinced that on judgment day, the Lord will ask one question and one question only. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired a life with you? That I waited for you day after day, that I love the sound of your voice? And real believers will respond and say, I do believe that you loved me and I tried to shape my life in a response to that love. But many of us who are faithful in ministry and in our practices, our church going will answer, sir, no, frankly, I, I just couldn't believe it. And there's the difference between real believers and nominal Christians that abound in churches in our land, he says. No one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of the love of Jesus. But then again, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred, our, our despising ourselves that block the love of God. Do you see why it's important to lay hold of this basic truth, he says? Because you're only going to be as big as your concept of God. And when we make God in our own image, he winds up being fussy and rude and narrow-minded and judgmental and legalistic and unloving and unforgiving as we are. I've been in churches in Maine and Miami and Seattle and San Diego and St. Louis. And honestly, the God of so many Christians I meet is too small for me because he's not the God of love that I have found in the word the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ, who at this moment comes to you in your seat and says this, I have a word for you. I know your life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame, the dishonesty and the degraded love that darkens your past. Right now, I, right now, I know your shallow faith and your feeble prayer life and your inconsistent discipleship. And my word for you is this, I dare you to trust that I actually love you. Just as you are, not as you should be. For many of us in this room, whether we've walked with Jesus for many, many years, whether we haven't actually taken that step to move into a relationship with God, the words of the apostle Paul and the voice of Jesus in our midst is this, I dare you to believe that I love you. And that what I'm offering is not a set of rules, but a relationship that will change you and make you into a worthy person. 
a person who lives from the inside out completely differently. And as Cody said at the beginning of our time together, a person who the life of God within us flows out in mission from us. This is the invitation of God for us is to remember (laughs) the simple words that I sing to my daughter at night, that Jesus loves me. This I know. In my heart of hearts, I believe it. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 